know, it can be painful to hear about good news in another person's life when things aren't so good in your life. It can be hard to celebrate with other people the good things that are happening to them when you don't see the good things happening to you. Next Sunday is Mother's Day, and we rightfully celebrate moms, and we express gratitude for our moms. But Mother's Day can be a painful day for many people. An infertile couple that is struggling to start a family finds Mother's Day very difficult. That that mom who's lost a child finds Mother's Day very difficult. Or for that family, for the first time, they're, they're dealing with a holiday without their mom. And there are a host of other reasons why for many, Mother's Day is just a hard day. It's a painful day. Or you, you're celebrating your nephew who got a scholarship to college, gets to play football, gets to go to college for free, while... Your daughter gets to go to cancer treatments, chemotherapy, and radiation, and has had to put off college as she battles cancer. Or it's a couple's 50th wedding anniversary, and you're so excited, they say, for this wonderful event. Come, be a part of our 50th wedding anniversary celebration, and yet you're still trying to cope with the aftermath of your divorce. And it can be hard. It can be painful when you hear good news in other people's lives, but things aren't so good in your life. And to be honest, if you're a spiritual person, in those moments you can start questioning God. God, where are you in my life? God, why aren't you doing something for me? God, I'm trying to live for you, but it seems like you're blessing others, but you're bypassing me. Maybe you go through a time of crisis where you wonder, is my faith even real? Is God even there? Are the skeptics right that there is no God? And we can start questioning that. And if you've never been there, I, I envy you, actually. If you've never been there, if you've never had a moment of doubt, then that's awesome. But I do encourage you to take some good notes today because more than likely, there's going to be a time in your life that you're going to struggle with something that's going to make you question everything you believe. Maybe you're already at that place. Maybe you're here today and you look good on the outside. You smile, you, you go through the motions, but deep down inside you're hurting and you're wondering, is this even worth it? Because it doesn't seem like God's coming through for me. It doesn't seem like God's answering my prayers. It doesn't seem like God is helping my family. I see all these other people that seem to be doing well, but I'm not, and I'm hurting, and I'm struggling Listen, Fort Caroline Baptist Church wants to be a place that's safe for people no matter where they are in their spiritual journey, no matter what their questions are, no matter what their doubts or their fears or their skepticisms are. We want this to be a safe place for people to explore those important questions. And I want you to know today that if you've ever doubted, doubt doesn't mean you're out. And it doesn't mean you're alone. Would it surprise you that, that most of the great people of faith in the Scriptures had moments of doubt? Moments where they questioned what they believed and what they had been taught. In fact, what I want to do today is take you to one of those people. And I want you to see how in this lowest moment of his life, this great man of God questioned everything he believed. And how Jesus dealt with his doubts. And how Jesus responded to his doubts. Because I believe the same way Jesus responded to this man, he wants to respond to you and to me whenever we go through those struggles.
those questions, those dark nights, those times where God feels distant. And so what I want to do today is take you to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. And today, as we look at Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 18, we're going to look at the life of John the Baptist. Now, he's called John the Baptist, not because it was a denominational affiliation that he was known for. There was no such thing in that day. He was called John the Baptist because if you remember, he was the one going before Jesus. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the one God called to prepare the way for Jesus to come as the Messiah. And as a part of his preparation for the nation of Israel there in the first century, you've got John calling the Jewish people to turn from their sin of unbelief and to come back to God and to prepare their hearts for God. And he was baptizing people as a sign of their death to their old life and their, their awakening to a new life, ready for the Messiah, a cleansing of their sin. And so because of that, he got the nickname John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. And then John is a great man of God. I mean, the Bible tells us in the Gospel of Luke that even when John was still in his mother's womb, and his mom met Mary, Jesus' mom, while she was carrying Jesus in her womb, that John leapt in his mother's womb because he was in the presence of the Messiah. I mean, so even from before birth, John recognizes there's something about Jesus. And then as they grow up and become adults, John goes and he starts preaching, prepare the way, get ready for the Messiah. This is the same John who one day saw Jesus coming to him at the River Jordan. And John says, behold, everyone, look, everyone, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one we've been looking for. In fact, people had even questioned, because John was so powerful and so faithful to God, they questioned, John, are you the Messiah? Are you the rightful king of Israel? Are you the one we've been looking for? And John says, no, 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 I'm not the one. I am not the Messiah. In fact, there is one who is coming who is far greater than I am. He is so mighty, I am not even worthy to be a slave untying his sandals. But this one who is mightier than I, when he comes, even though I baptize you in water, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to do a work in this nation through the power of the Holy Spirit of God and through the fiery judgment of God. You get ready. The Messiah is coming. And he was talking about Jesus. Would it surprise you then that a man with such faith a man who had seen God work in so many ways, a man who had stood so strong and so courageous for God, would have a moment of doubt? Well, we find him here in Luke chapter 18. And if John can doubt, then anyone can doubt. It says here in John chapter 7, verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. Now that's, that's interesting, but... What, what does that have to do with us today? Where's John? They, they report what to John? And where is John? Well, the disciples of John report to John that Jesus is up to some great things. Jesus is healing people. Jesus has just raised a young man from the dead. And Jesus has done all kinds of other miracles. It is amazing. 
And they come and tell John all this. Man, Jesus' popularity has never been greater. People are saying the prophet of God is here. God is at work among his people once again through Jesus. It is awesome, John. But for John, it's hard to hear good news about other people because right now, John is sitting in prison. He has been in prison for almost a year now. He was thrown in prison by Herod Antipas, the Roman governor of this region and of Israel. And the reason John's been thrown in prison by Herod is because Herod didn't like one of John's sermons. Herod was a wicked, vile man. He used cruelty and violence to keep the Jewish people under control. He had killed some of his own family members. And he was unfaithful to his wife. In fact, there came a point where Herod decided he wanted his brother's wife as his own. And so he took Herodias to be his wife. And John says, I don't care who you are. I don't care that you're a king. That is against the Jewish scriptures. You are not to take your brother's wife. And he preached against Herod. He got into politics is what he did. And you want to rile people up? Preach politics one day. And Herodias got so angry that she told Herod, you throw him in prison. And that's what happened. And for a year, John has languished in prison. Macarius, the the fortress prison uh, near the mouth of the river Jordan, on the edge of the Dead Sea. The remains of this prison are still there today. Some of you are interested in going to Israel. That'd be an awesome place to visit, wouldn't it? To see the very place where John the Baptist was imprisoned, awaiting his probable execution by Herod. That's where John is. That's what's going on in John's life. That's what John got for standing up for the Messiah. But he's hearing all this good news about what God is doing in other people's lives. So the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord. I've got a question for you, Jesus. Go and ask Jesus this question. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Hey, I'm hearing all this good news you bring to me from Jesus. Well, I'm going to send you two back to Jesus, and you bring to him a question from me. Are you the one? Are you the one that we've been looking for? Are you the one that the Old Testament prophets for hundreds of years told us would come? Are you the one, the Messiah, that I said would come and baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire? You see, I'm I'm hearing all the evidence that you're using the Holy Spirit of God, the power of God to change people's lives. But I'm still waiting on that fiery judgment part. When are you going to deal with the people who are persecuting me and persecuting the Jewish people? When are you going to deal with Herod, Antipas? When are you going to deal with Herodias, his new wife? When are you going to deal with the injustice in this world? When are you going to deal with the cruelty in this world? When are you going to raise up arms and overthrow the Romans? Because that's what we expect the Jewish Messiah to do. So are you the one... Or have I been wrong about you? Am I wasting my time with my faith in you? Are you the one or do we look for another? And listen, I don't know, but have you ever been there? 
Have you ever looked at your life and you say, where's God? Why did he allow this to happen to me? Why did he allow this to happen to my family? Why does he allow this to happen to our world, to our culture, to our nation? Is my faith in Jesus real? Is my faith in God worth it? Because I sure don't see God at work in my life. I hear all these stories about what God's doing in other people's lives. And they're singing and they're praising God and they're raising their hands. And they're, woo, everything's awesome. Good for them. I don't see it. And have you ever been there? That's where John was. And you say, well, if you really were uh, right with God, you wouldn't question. That's just not true. Every single follower of Jesus in the first century questioned and doubted and wondered and wrestled. And John was no exception. And if John can feel this way, then maybe it shouldn't surprise you that there are times you feel this way. Sometimes what causes us to question, is my faith real? Is it worth it? Could be uh, an intellectual problem. We're trying to make sense of science in the Bible. Or we're trying to make sense of archaeology and history. Or we're trying to make sense of, of what our English literature professor in college told us versus what we learned in church. And we're, we've got intellectual questions about the, the way God works and why is there so much evil and suffering in the world. Sometimes we start questioning our faith, not for intellectual reasons, but for moral reasons. God demands some things and expects some things that contradict our lifestyle. And because of that, we start saying, well, I'm not sure if I believe in God anymore. No, it's just you don't like what God expects of you. You're going to have to change your life. You're going to have to give up some stuff. You're going to have to get right with God and with other people if you're going to really live for God. And you don't like that. So it's easier to just say, there is no God. Because if there is, I'm sure uncomfortable. And then not only intellectual or moral, but sometimes just emotional or painful experiences. Sometimes it's painful experiences we see out there and we see on the news and we hear about. But often it's painful experiences right here that we're dealing with personally in our own lives. And John is questioning because of the pain that he is experiencing. Are you the one or shall we look for another so here's what happens, verse 20. And when the men had come to him, Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, and they quote John verbatim, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Verse 21. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. So before Jesus answers their question, explicitly, he just says, excuse me for a moment. I heard you, but excuse me for a moment. I've got some work to do. And he starts performing miracles on people who had congregated around him. I mean, Luke tells us that in that moment, there are people who have diseases. Jesus touches them and heals them. There are people who are uh, covered with plagues. I mean, everybody else is pushing away, running away from these people. And Jesus comes near and heals them. There are people with evil spirits, evil strongholds that have taken advantage of them and tormented them and plagued them. And yet Jesus sets them free. And there were even people who were physically blind and Jesus restores their sight. What is Jesus doing? He is answering their question in a very plain way. That no one can mistake. You ask me, am I the one? Or shall we look for another? Watch this and make up your own mind. 
And he performs miracles with the power of God. In verse 22, after having given them empirical evidence, he gives them some scriptural evidence. He said to them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Go and tell John that. Now maybe in our 21st century English understanding, we don't see the significance of what Jesus just said. Jesus is not just making this up off the top of his head. He is literally quoting scripture. He says, you want to know, am I the one? Watch this. And listen to this. Watch the miracles I've just performed. It is evident that the power of God is upon me and I am doing the very works that the Messiah is going to do according to the Old Testament Scriptures. And what Scripture? Well, let me give you one, Jesus says. I'll quote from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And this is actually the very first sermon Jesus preached when He launched out into His public ministry. Remember, he went into the synagogue of Nazareth. And in that day, they would choose someone, choose a man to unroll the scroll and do the reading from the Old Testament for that day. And on that day, Jesus is asked, read from the scroll. He opens the scroll. Guess what it is? The scroll is Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And what does it say? Exactly what Jesus just said. Go and tell John what you've seen. And here's what Isaiah 61 says the Messiah will do. The blind will receive their sight. The lame will walk. Lepers will be cleansed. The deaf will hear. The dead will be raised up. The poor will have the good news preached unto them. Jesus says, I'm fulfilling the very scriptures that were spoken of me. And in the synagogue of Nazareth, after he read the, the scroll, he closed it back up, gave it to the attendant, sat down. Everybody was amazed. And Jesus said... You just saw this scripture fulfilled. You just heard this scripture fulfilled. I'm the answer to that scripture. I am the one. That's what you go and tell John. You go and tell John, I'm doing exactly what was said of me. I'm doing exactly what I said at the very beginning of my public ministry. I would do as the Messiah. I am on a journey of changing people's lives. And John is probably thinking, uh, yeah, but what about that fiery judgment part? You, you left that part out. Oh, that part will come. But this is the day of grace. This is the day where I've come to be a spiritual Messiah, changing people from the inside out. If you just work on the outside, the political systems and, and all the, the cultural things, that's, that's fine. But you leave the heart of the problem in the heart of people. The heart of the problem is you're sinners separated from a holy God. You're lost and on your way to hell. What will it profit a man if he gets everything in this life that he wants, but he loses his own soul? So my first priority as Messiah is to save people from their sins, to change them from the inside out. And all of these healings and all of these miracles and all of these freedoms and lifting up the downtrodden, they're just glimpses of what my kingdom is going to look like when it comes in totality. I'm not finished yet, John, but I am the one. And Jesus added in verse 23, and blessed is the one who is not offended 
by me. Jesus says, there's a blessing for you, John. And there's a blessing for everyone and anyone who is not offended by me. That word offended in the Greek is where we get our English word scandal. Jesus literally says, blessed is the one who is not scandalized by me. It means to be tripped up. It means to be ensnared and trapped. And Jesus says, there's a blessing for all people who will trust me in my ways, even if they don't understand them, who will just keep their confidence in me and not be tripped up because I'm not working like they think I should or I'm not doing things the way they think I should. Blessed is the person who just trusts me to handle this because either I am the one or I'm not. And if I am the one, you got to leave all the details to me. I've got it under control. You can trust me. If I'm really the Messiah, why be troubled? Why be trapped? Why be scandalized when life doesn't work out like you think it should? As we sang just a moment ago, let me, Jesus says, let me be your anchor to the ground. No matter what happens around you, just trust me. And there's a blessing if you'll just trust me. You may not see it in this life, but there is a blessing if you'll just trust me. You say, well, what happened to, to John? Because this is where we end at this point. Well, Jesus goes on and he commends John to the people that were listening that day. He says, no one born among women is greater than John. By the way, how many of you have been born among women? Anybody here? Yeah. So Jesus is saying, out of all humanity, there's no one greater than John. Jesus says, just because you doubt doesn't mean you're out. But eventually, John will be beheaded by Herod Antipas. There's this drunken party that Herod throws and all the dignitaries from surrounding uh, countries come and Roman dignitaries are there and the wine is flowing freely and evidently Herod has had a little too much to drink. And Herod starts to notice that Herodias' daughter Salome is in the room and she's dancing and well, Sunday morning, I, I won't describe, but evidently her dance was missing everything but the pole. I mean, I mean, this was, a, this was a dance that all the guys were watching intently. And Herod thought, I've never seen anything like this. And in his drunken stupor, he says, you ask anything, you ask half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. And she runs to her mom. Hey, he said, I could have anything I want. What do you think I should ask for? And Herodias said, you go back and tell him, you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And that's what happened. John the Baptist was beheaded in that fortress prison by Herod Antipas. You say, well, that... That's, that's not a good way to end the story. Oh no, it is a good way to end the story because that's the way life often works. I don't care what you hear on some television preaching today. You can't put enough money in the offering plate or give enough money to this ministry and all of your problems will disappear. And if you have problems, it's because you don't have enough faith and you just need to send a little more seed money. That is a lie. That is not Biblical, that is not what it means to live for Jesus. Here's what it means to live for Jesus. I trust Him with my soul and I trust Him with my situation. 
He can have my life. He's got everything. But I know this, no matter what happens to me in this life, there will be a day I stand before him and I will have full access to the grace of God because he has loved me and he is my savior. Whenever they cut John the Baptist's head off, it just ushered him into the very presence of the one that he never lost faith in. And he heard Jesus say, well done, you good and faithful servant. And here 2,000 plus years later, we're still talking about John as an example of what it looks like to go through trials and tribulations and to even have doubts and questions and yet to come through on the other side anchored in Jesus and never giving up on Jesus. Here's the lesson for us today in your homework. When you can't see God at work in you, look for God's work around you. That's what Jesus is telling John. John, I know you can't see me at work right now in you as you sit in that prison, as you face death. But even though you can't see me at work in you, I want you to look around and see my work around you. I am at work. And in your homework this week is if you're feeling down and you're feeling hopeless and you're feeling discouraged, I want you to get out a pen and a piece of paper and I want you to not just write down the problems of your life, I want you to write down the blessings of your life. I want you to write down the good things that you can be thankful for. I want you to write down the evidence that you see where God is at work. Yes, we're grieving the loss of a loved one, but the Holy Spirit of God and the love of God's family has come alongside of us and helped us during that time. Yeah, we're going through chemotherapy treatments, but we're thankful that God's given doctors wisdom and knowledge to help us in this moment of our illness and our sickness. Yeah, I may have lost my job and I'm struggling, but I'm so thankful that I've got assistance that's helping me get through this period of time. But beyond all that, don't forget to write some other things that we now know that John the Baptist didn't know, that we can say, here's the evidence that God is at work around me and for me. Not only did John the Baptist lose his head, but Jesus went to a bloody cross and he gave his life on the cross and he died a death that no person should ever have to die. Not only physically, but he died spiritually, taking our sin on his own body on the cross. And he paid the penalty for our sin. But not only did he die, he rose from the dead on the third day. And we can know that even when I can't see God at work in me, he's still working around me. Jesus is alive. The tomb is still empty. He is still in the saving business. He is still changing people's lives. He has promised he will come back one day and he's going to make all wrong right. And there's going to be new heavens and new earth. And we're going to have new bodies that will never suffer, never grow old, never be sick, never die but until that time comes, we get the privilege of being a part of his mission in this world of pointing people to Jesus. That's what we can say whenever we have our times of struggle and doubt. Yes, troubles may come, but Jesus is my anchor. He's my solid rock. He is the one I put my confidence in. And even when I can't see God at work in me, I'm going to look and I see him at work around me. And I give him thanks and praise. And I just trust. So what does this mean for us? It means keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. If you're a skeptic and you're not sure what you believe, listen, you got to look at Jesus. Either he is who he says he is or he's not. Either he did what he said he would do or he didn't. Either he rose from the dead or he didn't. You may have a million other questions about what it says in Genesis and what it says in the book of Revelation. And I don't understand prophecy. That's all wonderful. But the, the point is you got to get your eyes on Jesus.
And I'm going to challenge you. Search the scriptures and learn about Jesus and look at his life and look at his death and look at the evidence for his resurrection and you'll discover you can put your confidence in him. And for those of us who've already done that, in our moments of doubt and struggle, when we can't see God at work in us, let's find the work of God around us. God, you're still at work. You're still changing lives. And I get to be a part of that. I shared with you a few weeks ago what one pastor said to me as I stood by his bedside as he was dying. And he said, Ricky, I've spent all of my life having the privilege of showing people and telling people how to live for Jesus. Now I've got the honor of showing people how to die for Jesus. And even in that moment, he knew that God was still at work around him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for this reminder that you are at work in us and you are at work around us through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that even when we doubt and struggle like John did, that you don't push us away and you don't kick us and you don't condemn us, but instead you help us to come back to the Scriptures and come back to the Savior and the evidence that He is who He says He is. And we can trust Him. Because as Messiah, as the King, as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, we can trust Him. We can trust Him with our sin and our salvation. We can trust Him with our suffering and our situations that we face in this life. And we can, we can know that He's up to something good. And we've only seen a glimpse of it. But it's enough to remind us to keep our faith in him. So Father, help us today whenever we're struggling to see you at work in us, to look around and see you at work around us and to give you praise and to be blessed by staying faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.